0: on Commons People
1: this week.
2: It's quite offensive, it's quite upsetting to all of us who break our backs working
3: every day.
1: Theresa May puts her foot in it again with the nurses.
4: Because the Tories will always migrant bash better than us. Um, It's a race to the bottom that we can't win. Um, but it's also a race to the bottom that we should never try to end. The battle for free movement begins. This is a hugely important uh, constitutional bill, um, but it's also hugely complex.
5: That's why uh, we need these procedures.
1: And just what on earth is a Henry VIII power? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. This week, I'm joined by Ned Simons, Rachel Wearmouth, and of course, Paul Waugh. Let's crack on with what's been a very busy week as MPs return to Parliament. First of all, what is it about Theresa May and nurses' pay? During the election, she memorably told a nurse who wanted a pay rise, there is no magic money tree. And in Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday, she was again rather clumsy with her language. Here's her responding to Jeremy Corbyn's call for the public sector pay cap to be axed.
3: Later in the autumn, we will publish the framework for 2018-19 and we'll continue to balance the need to protect jobs, the need to protect public sector workers and the need to ensure uh, that we're also protecting and being fair to those who are paying for it, including public sector workers.
1: Hundreds of nurses were outside Parliament on Wednesday to protest against the cap and here's the reaction of some of them when I told them about Theresa May's comments. Theresa May during PMQs when Jeremy Corbyn asked about lifting the cap she said well you know we can't spend money on this that and the other and I just I just wondered what, 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 you, what you thought of that, about being talked about in those terms by the it's prime great. minister. That's That's
2: terrific. It's really yeah. nice to hear that the prime minister thinks of us nurses as this that and the other Nurse. you know she wouldn't be calling us that if we were looking after her family.
1: So you heard there the shock from the nurses at Theresa May after describing them as this, that and the other.
3: Um, What is it with Theresa May and nurses? I mean, is it really difficult to kind of not... them, Paul? It is if you're a Maybot. It's a dead easy to offend them, isn't it? I mean, I, I would have thought... we knew Every MP on her side of the, the chamber, Tory MP, knew what she meant. They knew what she meant. She meant this, that and the other. You know, we can't just spray the money around. It's not just but, nurses pay your ass for, exactly. Jeremy Corbyn. You want to do everything. With but it. the yeah. problem with that is that, um, I mean, Jim McMahon, the Labour uh, shadow minister, then tweeted uh, that actually this, that and the other isn't just nurses. It's nurses, firemen, doctors. And he winded it out and made it, it, it Made it sound even more offensive, so um, it was you know a, it was a, a mistake, a misstep. But um, what's more significant, perhaps, is that the government are so uh, nervous about this whole issue that they briefed to Her Majesty's Sun newspaper earlier in the week that actually they they are determined to lift the pay cap. The interesting about that is that the word is that Number 10 weren't very happy about it at all, and it was sounded like the Cabinet Office and, and other departments trying to bounce the government into this announcement. We can talk about that, but I, I actually think that there will be something on, on the pay cap to be lifted in the budget. Whether or not it's what the unions and the TUC want is a completely different story.
1: And Rachel, you've um, spoken to Frances O'Grady, haven't you, who was uh, the TUC boss. And what's been her take on, on all of this?
2: Well, um, they released some research today, a sort of really wide ranging poll that showed that one in eight working people is skipping meals to um get to their next paycheck um, essentially and she said, I asked her specifically what made her um angry in twenty seventeen and she said um the wages is a massive issue, yes, but she said, but for her, it goes deeper than that it's a sense of disrespect and she said that um, she's hearing Theresa May celebrate the heroism of public servants in Parliament all the time, but then um they can't afford to get by. They can't afford to live on the money that they've got.
1: And Ned isn't that the problem that it's like I say it's not just the issue now. You know, the sort of concrete examples. There is a sense that Theresa May, the disrespect and that kind of seeps into the party, right? I mean, she was the one who called it the nasty party. Is yeah. she the one making it nasty again? E- even if Theresa May was to go tomorrow, has the brand been tarnished by this?
5: Yeah, I think even if if they do scrap the cap in the budget, it's almost too late in terms of the brand. I think um, people see that as having been around for such a long time, it would just look as them kind of wouldn't be it wouldn't be enough for people. I think it's same with um, I think a connected issue is food banks. I think that has tarnished the Tory brand because they didn't take it seriously and it kind of seeped into public consciousness that that was a, a disrespect or disregard for poorer people, for people who earned less money. I think whilst there are different issues, there's this kind of slow burn again of retoxifying the party over the last, whatever it's been, seven years, which Cameron tried obviously to change. But
1: I was talking to some Tory MPs yesterday from the newer intake um, and they were saying this is almost like the bedroom tax. It's almost become something on its in its own right <coughs> now. This public sector pay gap, and we, they said we need to take this off the table. Is what they, that, was, that was the phrase was used. We need to take this off the table. So in the budget. We need to do something just, just to get rid of it, because it's going to be it's gonna just hang around our necks. And Paul, I guess that there'll be some people who maybe from earlier intakes would say, well, you weren't here in the beginning when we were doing these things, not because of the fun of it, but because the
3: economy, they would argue, was in a really bad way. Well, that's, that's the, obviously the Tory case, and it's the case that the Treasury have been pushing back at with Number 10. Number 10 really do want the public sector pay cap uh, to be lifted as long as it's affordable. And the Treasury themselves have been saying, Philip Hammond has been saying, look, to individual departments, fine, you find me the money. You give me some cuts where I can actually then fund a pay rise. Now, that doesn't work when it comes to the health department, for example, which has got an enormous workforce and an enormous pay bill. You could, to, to fund a pay rise just for the NHS, you'd have to slash the number of hospitals or other services elsewhere. It doesn't work. So central government's going to have to find the money from somewhere. The question is and no one's answered this yet how on earth is philip hammond going to fund a 4 billion quid increase in a 1% pay rise for public sector workers where's the 4 billion coming from now labor has an answer which is you know let's tax the the rich more let's um, you know hit Corporation tax. Maybe the really counterintuitive thing to do would be to cancel a corporation tax rise and adopt Labour's policy. Now I know that sounds a bit left field, but if you're left if, wing. if, if you're Theresa May mm. and you're trying to persuade people that we're on your side, just about managing classes, I'm just throwing it out there.
1: Well, let's move on to Labour now. And the organiser of a Labour pro-immigration group has warned the party needs to have an argument with some of its working class voters over the benefits of EU workers. Michael Chesham, who runs the Labour campaign for free movement, uh, told HuffPost he was optimistic that party policy could be changed to keep free movement after Brexit. This is going to be an issue that's going to dominate the annual conference in Brighton with several local constituency parties adopting emergency conference motions calling on Corbyn to maintain and extend free movement from the EU. Mr Paul Waugh caught up with Michael Chesham earlier this week and here's a little clip of their chat.
4: Because the, the narrative that says immigrants are to blame for your falling wages, immigrants are to blame for the housing crisis, immigrants are to blame for things that are going wrong in society and in people's lives is kryptonite to the left. It is kryptonite to that narrative, um, and if we feed that narrative, um, not, only are we be, not only are we not, you know, telling the whole truth because that narrative is, is factually wrong, immigrants are not to blame um, for these problems. We are also um, uh, we are also feeding a narrative on and, and, and establishing a, ter- a terrain on which ultimately the Tories will always win because the Tories will always migrant bash better than us. Um, It's a race to the bottom that we can't win, um, but it's also a race to the bottom that we should never try to win.
1: So in that interview there, Paul, we heard him say that we can't have a race to the bottom with the Tories over bashing migrants. I mean, is that what what Labour are doing? Surely they're just enacting the will of the referendum, which is to end free free movement. This
3: is all a bit sensational, isn't it? Well, that... Michael Chesserman, this campaign, um, he he's from the left. Uh, he's a former Momentum uh, uh, official. Um, he's united with the progress right or centre of the Labour Party, who are very much in favour of migration uh, for economic reasons. Um, and the, you've got this interesting unholy alliance of the left and right Labour Party, both believe in the same thing, which is that actually we should continue free movement of EU workers after Brexit because, one, it's really good for the economy, but two, we believe in principles and rights and migrants' rights and workers' rights. And they think there's a wider thing that's gone on under Labour as well as under the Tories, which is that migrants have been blamed for the ills of austerity and for the the the, the wages, wider, longer-term wages squeeze of the Western world. And there's no point blaming the migrants when actually it's the bosses, it's the corporations who are driving wages down. Uh, and that's an interesting argument right now. And what's really interesting about it is that... Uh, Labour is beginning to have that argument because, as Michael Chesham said, and, I, you know, he's an, a self-confessed left-winger, there's no question about this, he says that the Blair governments, the Brown governments, you know, basically have followed that narrative of the Tories, which is that, yeah, migrants are to blame in some cases for, for undercutting wages.
1: Blair, but the Blair government was the one that...
3: Yeah, this Blair was the real real one real real that, that that really How pushed. Can you ever go to Blair, this is amazing. No, Sorry. but if you if you go accept on. but remember, Blair and under Jack Straw, they were very keen that it kept the controls fair and managed migration. That was their mantra, just as on crime. And They wanted to be to quote tough on crime to cause the crime. And under Labour and certainly what Chesson was pointing out is that you know in the 2015 general election you have a a red Labour mug which said controls on immigration which a lot of Labour voters didn't like I thought was just a bit crass and that uh, that we should a lot of Labour voters did like that well well, this is but this is the argument Mm. um, and he's admitting we're going to have to have that argument with our own voters Uh, it's it's a difficult argument to have because a lot of people are convinced that their own wages are being undercut by by EU migrants. Um, People like Chesham and others say there's no evidence for that at all. all. It's purely a prejudice that's been fuelled by the media and by the Tory party.
5: Isn't it interesting, though, that Jeremy Corbyn, who there was a whole confusion of whether he wanted to keep free movement or not in the campaign. But one thing he did, he said that um, immigration um, depressed wages, low wages as well. So even he was saying that the kind of the, the icon of the left wing of the Labour Party, including Chesham, who's a momentum activist, their leader himself was saying that too yeah. so
3: and that's why they they think actually that what corbyn really meant was unscrupulous bosses with mm. illegal immigration right. not legal migration illegal he, he, he mi- uh, that illegal didn't mean that corbyn didn't mean that and this is their this is their claim this Sorry, their Mark, claim you've been listening, <laughs> but he didn't mean that this is a claim that actually if you get rid of freedom of movement and if you introduce migration controls and make it tough for people to come here then illegal immigration will get much worse and the problem of pay and
2: being undercut will get much worse. That's the argument. But I would say they now have a, a mountain to climb in places like, for example, Hartlepool, where the Leave vote was like 69.5% um, and the mig- Migration Observatory found that the North East has sort of the lowest uh, proportion of foreign-born people in the in the country. Um, but the Leave vote there is massive. Um, and I'd say that the um, sort of... Fear of immigration is bigger than the issue of immigration for people. That's precisely the
3: debate you see. I think people like this new campaign for f- free movement are saying, look, that proves it's based on myth, that there, are, there aren't a huge number of, of, of uh, foreigners or foreign migrants um, in the areas where the leave vote is strongest. It's purely based on fear. And they say, look, we're the low party. We should be having this debate with our voters. You could say they're trying to re-educate their voters. <laughs> God forbid, but you know they they want to have this debate I've, and they say, "Look, I stand up for it." If, if I was a voter, I mean, I, I wouldn't you, have a clue. Not
5: vote. <laughs> I mean, if I was voters at large, I wouldn't right. have a clue what Labour's Le, Le, Europe policy is. I've come back from two weeks off, and. Trying to then after two weeks work out what a change that's what made me ill yesterday was trying to work <laughs> out like what Labour's policy was. I mean, you know, you can work it out. You can look at all the different approaches they're making. But if you're just a normal person, how you have any idea what the party's saying on it? I really don't know.
3: And the danger is that if Labour does continue with letting EU migrants come in and you know untrammelled, then people will say, "Well, what was Brexit all about? What did we vote for?" And if they voted for migration, then they'll feel. Sl- Betrayed, you might say. But as we've seen, you know, Labour is making the case through Keir Starmer, they want to, in a in transition period at least, keep the single market, keep a lot of this freedom of movement because they think the economy will go off a cliff edge otherwise. Well, it's funny you say
1: that because the leaked Home Office report, which uh, was leaked to The Guardian this week, <clears throat> if you read the sort of 86 pages of it, as some of us had to do, you did. I did. It's sort of. It, Most of it sets out how they're going to control immigration. There's one sort of paragraph tucked away in there, which basically says immigration has been really good for the UK and it's really helped the economy and it's been good for everyone. The only thing is we need to make sure people who aren't migrants feel the benefits of it as well. It's not just migrants who should feel the benefits, it's everyone. But by definition, the economy is getting better than you think that it would. So maybe it's it's another issue. But that leaked report, I was told that that was a very early draft of a report done by civil servants, which never even got to ministerial level. Well, Damien Green said this morning he hadn't ever seen it. Yeah, so that's interesting. That ev- I said that even Immigration Minister hadn't seen mm. it, and 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 there's going to and he was planning to do some, um, some consultations with MPs on immigration anyway. And now they get, I mean, they're still going to do this, but they're worried that this looks like they're doing this in response to the report being leaked. But they're going to do it anyway. But this report, it was, you know, we described it at Huffington Post as something which can be celebrated by Brexit hardliners. I think it would be because there was something in there, which was sort of, I thought was very interesting was that, yes, free movement is going to end in March 2019. We know they've said that anyway. But the two year transition period, they said unskilled workers would only be allowed to get a visa for two years. Skilled workers Doctors, engineers could only get a visa for three years. So, if you're a doctor and you get a job in the UK and you go, oh, I might come to the UK, it seems nice. Hold on a minute, I might only be able to stay for three years. Yeah. Why am I going to come here? Why am I going to sit here? Why have that upheaval of leaving?
5: And do you think, interesting, because a lot when that, that leak was made, a lot of people said, Oh, it's kind of Remainer cabinet ministers leaking it to try and scrap it. But I think there's another argument that actually, because it sets the terms so far to the anti immigration position like you just said you know only three years for skilled workers and two years for unskilled workers if you set that as the the kind of bar then any movement away from it could be seen as being soft so in a, in a weird way it might help the holocaust brexiteers who want to keep immigration controls tight how because, would that help them? because then any movement away from that initial starting point they can push back and say no you're softening your stance
1: so but, but in a way help, but then also by definition helps remainers because then they can say look this is what we were going to do we've got involved now and we're I mean I think in a way they're the government are now in a position where they're going to get slagged off by both the Express and the Mail and the yeah. Guardian because if they implement if they move away from these proposals at all yeah, then they're going to be called like selling out right yeah. by, by the Express and the Mail mm-hmm. and the Guardian will say it has been another U-turn or exactly. whatever <laughs> not that we care what these idiots think because we're post UK <laughs> isn't that right Paul?
3: we are post UK no, that, that is factually correct that is factually correct <laughs>
1: um, well anyway this week's quiz Oh. Uh, he it's says about, it's a good one it's this about week. migration oh. and I'm going to give so there was a survey done this week of 13,000 expats across the world right and it was about I wrote the story on it no one read it I'm looking at you lot I was off I'm going to find out if you read it actually because of this quiz was looking really like smiley and basically the UK's fallen like below Kazakhstan in terms of like desirable places for expats to live so I'm going to give you a category and then I want you to tell me whether the country was ranked above the UK or below the UK for this? Okay. Yeah yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's above the UK, it's because of Brexit. If it's below the UK, it's despite Brexit. Yeah, that's
5: good. Yeah, yeah. It's not as good as the Pokemon one for the week, but, you know. We'll gloss over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, so quality of life. Was the USA ranked above the UK for quality of life?
2: Mm.
3: Um, I'd say... I'd say below. So that's despite Brexit. Yeah, same. Despite Brexit. Yep. Um,
2: because of Brexit. It was
1: ranked below. It was, came forty seventh, and the UK came forty first.
2: Ah. Oh.
5: Do
1: you know it was a top country? Like Sweden or something. You tell me. Portugal.
3: Portugal. Oh.
1: Personal mm-hmm. happiness. <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> <Was> <laughs> based on this room. Yeah. <laughs> what's the what's listeners the of this <laughs> podcast? Uh, Mexico. Was that? Ranked. Was that despite Brexit uh, or because um, of Brexit? Uh, oh. Was it above
5: one? I reckon Mexico people are personally happier than That's because of Brexit. I'll go for Brexit. that too.
3: Because
1: yeah. of Brexit. Mexico was the top country. Wow. UK was 62nd. Oh, Only God. countries below it in this list was Qatar, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. Ooh, that's a bit I damning. <laughs> uh, safety and security. Costa Rica. Do people feel safer and secure in Costa Rica or not? I think they the feel UK? safer there. Do you?
2: Yeah. Despite Brexit. Okay. Which I'm one was that? Was that above or below? Below. Right. Despite <laughs> <Brexit>. You <laughs> think below? Costa Rica. Yeah,
1: but that was because of Brexit. So despite Brexit. Despite Brexit, then. Costa Rica's above.
3: Yeah. What? Above. <laughs> above. <laughs> I c- I'd say <laughs> because of Brexit. I'd say it's better than Britain because it's. Yeah. Costa Rica's, you know, yeah. lo- lovely looking country. Everyone goes there for the holidays because right. it's a beautiful country. You're Surely right. it's a beautiful. You're country. right.
1: It was 20th. The UK was 42nd. Uh. Top country for safety and security? Uh, Canada. No, but you're almost there. No, you're not anywhere. Well like I don't know okay, New Zealand no, geographically, but no, but like oh, ge- what's what's uh, traditionally been very safe secure country?
3: Australia, New
1: Zealand.
0: Switzerland.
1: Switzerland. I was gonna say Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. How was I like, close? Ah. Well you weren't but like you not any way. of like Canada. Just, they <laughs> speak <laughs> French in both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah Okay, yeah, there we right, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, close, go on. Travel sure. travel and transport. Let's get through this. It's <laughs> dragging. Travel and right. transport. <laughs> Kenya. Was Kenya ranked above or below? Below.
3: Below, surely below.
1: Yeah, it's below. Fifty-second UK was twenty-four. Top was Singapore. And finally, health and well-being was Qatar ranked
3: above or below? I bet Qatar healthcare system is amazing. God, that's a bit worrying. Um, Surely below. I've got to. Bear in mind, they're asking expats, not workers that are
1: dying building the World Cup stadiums. Above. Yeah, it is above. Only just though. Thirty-six. UK was 40th. top was Taiwan. That's the best healthcare system in the world. That, according to expats, isn't oh. yeah, oh, the most there happy go. with it. So there we are. That was this week's quiz. Thank you. That was all right. <laughs> was it all right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best, but... It, no, it was good. Yeah, yeah? I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on, shall we? Yeah. Probably, I feel like... I think yeah, I feel like everyone is leaving the world. If anyone <laughs> is still listening to this, we will get some energy into it in the next. When section. you have to hurry us <laughs> up through the oh, your right, own okay, quiz, listen, then you know. You thought that was exciting. to so this, the EU withdrawal bill debate <laughs> that started today, Thursday. The main row over the bill is around extending so-called Henry VIII powers which basically means the government can chop off the heads of it, no, which means the government will be able to change the law in a wide range of areas without the normal levels of government scrutiny, and that's a bad thing. Here's Damien Green setting up the government's case on Sky News.
5: Instead of a debate uh, in the chamber of the House of Commons, you have a debate in a committee, but, but MPs will be on that committee, will be able to question ministers, uh, there will be votes uh, on these issues. Um, but you know, if people have reasonable proposals about what the balance should be, about uh, time spent in the chamber of the House of Commons and time spent in these committees uh, obviously we're we're open to listening this is a hugely important uh constitutional bill um but it's also hugely complex that's why uh, we need these procedures
1: so there we are guys is this bad is this terrible i'm i'm really struggling i know it's terrible because like everyone keeps telling me it is and i get what it is but i can't like get to the end well, of the sentence. Without being... Do you know what I mean? Like, no, but I, no, I think uh, it is a bit. Give me an example of how they're going to do it badly then, or do they not want to give people ideas? Like, just... Keep, Paul, give me an example of why I should be annoyed about
3: this. But you're an innate lever, aren't you? So that you wouldn't get that... <laughs> fair, <though. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, No, um, the reason the Lords and the Commons are, are some... MPs on the Tory side and the Labour side are getting very upset about these, these executive powers, Henry VIII powers, um, is because they think that actually the whole point of this Brexit vote was to take back control of our laws, but. If, you're, if it's ministers taking back control of our laws rather than parliament taking back control of our laws, what's the point of this Brexit thing? Who's really got the control? They're only changing little bits to make so the law makes sense, right? Well, that's the government's argument. You've been listening to the whips. Very Absolutely. good. Um, <laughs> but it's not just a question about the, the, the efficiency of parliament. Of course, there's, there's thousands of these things, regulations that need to be rammed through. And the government's only got itself to blame because it started the whole process of Article 50 and it's now running out of time to do it in but Parliament's saying, OK, you've got very limited time to do all this massive legislation, but surely you could have a better way of selecting what we think are the most significant bits so that ministers don't just do with a stroke of a pen something that's really important and that Parliament should consider. Now, I, I there's a lot of noise about this. I suspect that actually there will be some kind of concession from the government. There'll be some sort of vehicle they'll come well, like up they with. Like a call-in system.
1: So if they do something and then Parliament can go oh, you've done that, we're going to call this in now.
3: They might do something like that. There might be more affirmative resolutions rather than negative ones, which is basically one of the big complaints about this, is that a whole raft of regulations, big changes in the law, will will only require a negative resolution. In other words, you have to vote against it rather than for it. So they might change a bit of that. They might be smart enough to include the House of Lords, have a new... Committee, a joint committee of the Lords and the Commons, to look at it. There'll be something, I suspect, because they're not daft. The government—they realise that there's quite a bit of noise well, on it. You, you say th- they're not, You say th- they're th-
1: not daft, but Theresa May. Stood up in the Commons yesterday, didn't she, and said that the House of Lords committee completely backed this approach and it was all fine. But well, it turns out they ain't the truth is it Rachel. Uh,
2: no, it's not. It was a bit of a fib. Um, fake news. Absolutely <laughs> fake news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Baroness Taylor, who is the chair of the Lords Constitution Committee, said um, we are disappointed that not only have we been misquoted by the government, but um, our rec- our recommendations were completely ignored. Well, not completely ignored. Ignored, she said. So they so Theresa <laughs> May says the
1: Lords are fine with this, and they've stood up and gone. What 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 the hell are you talking about?
2: Essentially, yeah. Um,
3: the treatment has got to get in trouble for that, right? You <laughs> you would ho- you'd hope so. <laughs> Surely. Well, will Labour push it though? I mean, it does sound like she misled the House in Prime Minister's Questions yeah, when like she came out of that <laughs> quite. is <isn't laughs> that like a hanging
1: offence <laughs> or something? Well,
2: or normally, normally, but um, you know, if you're Henry VIII yourself, then you can hang everyone else. It does. Beg the, it does beg the question, though, if it's not a big deal. Why does Theresa May need to make, make out that she has more support for it than she actually does? Oh, you're yeah, right. If that is what yeah. you're doing. That's what you're doing. <laughs> I'm, starting to, I'm starting to have my doubts now. <laughs> and I
5: think, that, doesn't it also show you, that you know, you know that the MPs that would normally complaining about this would be Bill Cash, Peter Bone, David, David Davis. Davis. They they're kind of the nonsense. exact MPs that I think completely you know, justifiably. It's like, hang on a second, you're just taking power away from Parliament. Now, because it's about, it's tied to Brexit, they don't care. And they actually not only don't care, they're arguing the other side. It's extraordinary. What them being like, no, it's fine,
1: it's ridiculous. John Jacob rees
3: moggs is another one.
1: Yeah, which I put stood up, didn't he, before the election? Said this puppet parliament, yeah. I was going to resign from it because it's a puppet it's, parliament. It's blah just, blah blah. And it, it kind of, do you think? Oh,
5: you didn't really care about parliament. You just cared about Brexit, and that's fine. But don't pretend at the time that you
3: did. That's <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but to be credit, to, to give to give David Davis credit, I think actually he, is, he still is a civil libertarian, and I think that's why there will be concessions on this because I think he, he knows he's got a lot of goodwill. And I suspect that there will be some give given by the government. It won't be a lot, but I suspect there'll be a bit. And let's be honest, you know, no Tory MP is going to, want to die in the ditch, whether you're Anna Subri or or anyone Dominic else. Grieve, uh, Dominic Grieve? Dominic I don't think any of those are going to die in the ditch on, on this issue. I really don't think they are. And Labour, it's interesting, I talked to some Labour people this week, they're certainly not confident that the Tory MPs are going to rebel in enough numbers to defeat the government. I mean, and that's really important. When we come back after the conference season, we're all back here in this studio, and it comes back to Parliament, the real guts of the Bill and committee stage, Labour is quite pessimistic they're going to defeat the government. But
1: these Tory Remainers, right, They've got to start dying in a ditch at some point. It's all very well, Anna Subri standing up in in Parliament and saying, and Ken Clark giving these speeches, and Dominic Grieve stroking his chin and going, Isn't it terrible? When are they going to start doing something about it then? If they're that bothered about it, right?
3: Well, ultimately, I think it's because. Tory MPs have a difficulty with rebellion. I really do think it, they've got this innate loyalty. They find rebelling really hard, much harder than the like, sceptics, didn't? much yeah. m- much harder than Jeremy Corbyn, for example, yeah. or a lot of people on the Labour side who've got this idea of principle. And you're right. The <laughs> um, um, up, <laughs> the, 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 the Eurosceptics, <laughs> certainly in the in the 90s, yeah. uh, people like Bill Cash and Ian Duncan Smith, you know, they, they were doing it on, a, on grounds of principle, but the Eurosceptics are a different kettle of fish from the Remainers. You know, if you're a Remainer, you're normally quite consensual, you're pragmatic. You, people like Subri and Dominic Grieve, you know, they're and Nicky Morgan. They're all creatures of the establishment because they've been ministers. You know, a lot of those master rebels, don't forget, had never been ministers. There were a lot of them were backbenchers. Um, they might have gone on to become ministers. Or party leaders. Uh, or party way, leaders. Yeah. But so you're talking about people who've been a minister who know what parliament needs uh, for compromise. And it's just, not really in their blood, I, think. I don't think. Uh, well, I just think I just think you know it's time to get off the pot. Or what? I don't
1: know. Get off the pot. You know the expression. He was going to say something rude. Yeah. then, Yeah, you? I, think I did say it. I'm <laughs> going to say
3: something rude later, but I'll. I'll, I'll All right. I'll then. let the listeners oh, wait for that. Was oh, this is your apology to Tom
1: Tugan? No, actually, let's get that in yeah. now. Mr. Tom. Paul sorry uh, uh, if you're listening. This is now a
3: public service announcement. Mr. Paul War. Tom Tugendhat, we do apologise, I do, for even even suggesting you'd been a special advisor in a previous life. Can I just say, Tom is a, a Tory MP and he now chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee. he's never been a special advisor. He grabbed
1: me in the corridor and the, I said, oh, I'll listen to your <laughs> podcast, I thought, oh, here we go, call for <laughs> you, know, recognise again. He said, I've never been a special advisor, tell Paul, he doesn't speak like that, tell Paul that. Now, Tom Tugendhat used to be in the army, I don't want to get on the wrong side of him, Paul. You don't, <laughs> neither no, right? <don't> do I. <laughs> yeah, that's Paul War. you're looking for, that's Paul War. For. That's, that's for the apology right. over. Right, okay, normal service being resumed. So um, it's coming up to budget in the autumn and Philip Hammond is asking Tory MP to send him ideas how to help young people. Um, speaking to the Conservative backbenchers in Parliament yesterday, the Chancellor pointed out that for many in the room, concerns over mortgages and pensions were a thing of the past. He contrasted that with Students and Young People, a group which overwhelmingly voted Labour in the June election, as he asked for poly idea- policy ideas from backbenchers in 150 words or fewer, apparently. So <laughs> there we are. So he doesn't want a lot of ideas, people. And we can also reveal that Education Secretary Justin Greening has also been seeking policy submissions from other MPs and over the summer invited a number of Tories in for private meetings to discuss ideas. So is this the government in listening mode or the government without a clue what to do? Yeah. <laughs> Ned? I think it seems, sounds to me more like we
5: haven't we don't know what to do yeah. help. Well about the manifesto? It. We can't do the manifesto. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but then you win does, don't, no, it, it, it really. doesn't... No not really. No me, yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah. I yeah, I think I don't think it's kind of maybe on the surface it looks like we're listening. I think it's more like we haven't got any ideas. Have you got any?
3: It's It, it does feel like treading water doesn't it? Yeah. I mean... Um, and, you know, you were there the, outside the 1922 committee. The idea that the Chancellor of the Exchequer can say to backbenchers, look, give me some ideas in, in time for the budget. You know, you're all part of this process. Just t- t- tell my PPS to text them your ideas, yeah. you know, short ideas. It just seems kind of laughable. On one level, it's admirable. Obviously, it's open government, you know, etc. But it does show the desperation. But, the, you know, whatever happened to the blue skies thinkers in number 10, what happened to the policy unit? Aren't they supposed to be bursting with <laughs> ideas? How are they going to attract young people? Why haven't they got a stack of people who've got ideas ready? What's happened to all these think tanks like Policy Exchange? What's happening? In the end, you're reducing government to sort of text message almost from a bit like x-factor from people tuning in and saying send us in your ideas <laughs> listener well and also that extends to this show <laughs> Any
1: ideas, hashtag comments people <laughs> oh, go and put some in the comments go and put some in the comments on, on your itunes and your new and audio beams So how, how wonderful we are yeah. no
3: but speaking of blue skies thinkers and tories it reminded, reminded me of Stuart pearson the f- most famous fictional Blue skies thinker in the thick uh, of it. Anecdote of the week. <laughs> in the thick of it. No fans of the thick of it will yeah. remember Stuart Pearson, who was basically a clone of um, the the very very admirable David Cameron's special advisor, Steve Hilton. Oh, what a uh, now? who went yeah. around with no shoes on, et cetera. But anyway, this, <laughs> there was a brilliant quote where, where Stuart Pearson, in the thick of it, addresses Tory MPs at an away day, and he says the following, I've spent 10 years detoxifying this party. It's been a bit like renovating an old, old house, yeah? You can take out a sexist beam here, a callous window there, replace the odd homophobic roof tile, but after a while you realise this renovation is doomed because the foundations are built on what I can only describe as a solid bed of cunts. <laughs>
1: so, uh Jacob re smog this wow. week. Um, <laughs> uh, move on to that, shall we? <laughs> I mean let's just uh
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that that sound you can hear, it's Owen yeah. taking. Can we get Paul's medication? <laughs> so we can na- now, now, a
1: hammock. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wow, so there it we is are. the thick of it. Yeah, it is it's thick not thick, real, folks. So. Can I just uh, say? It's, it's fiction. From, yeah, but it's dangerous. It's though, isn't it? uh, Rachel, what do you think the Tories need to do to uh, attract young people? Give them one idea. If Philip Hammond was listening now, what would you say to Philip Hammond? Um, well, I I'm read. Give your, us five i <laughs> uh, I
2: read. I read your piece, um, and one of the things oh, he one of the things he said, um, <laughs> was reported to have said, um, was that young people aren't interested in um, mortgages, um, get or getting on the housing ladder, which yeah. I found really surprising. I can't imagine a lot of young people actually feel like that. Um, and one of the interesting ideas that Sadiq Khan came up with this week on the on the back of all the Grenfell Tower. Um, fallout um was a, a social housing tsar which i thought was um yeah an interesting idea they
3: they need to have more ideas on things like social housing. I mean, only today there was a story that um, a lot of housing associations have, have decided to go down the luxury flat route because actually there's lots and lots of luxury flat developments being built in central London and other and, and other cities across Britain. And why not just leverage more affordable housing into these amazing tower blocks? You know, the modern tower blocks that are sort of flashy. Why don't we actually? use that opportunity to give people who actually are in need an amazing home. And it's quite interesting that that, that you'd never have thought, you would, you know, affordable housing, what, what do you associate with, with sort of, you know, shoe boxes or rabbit rabbit hutch type buildings or, you know. Paul is from the north, everyone. And, yeah. you know, and that, that's, the, that's the sort of image of social housing, that's sort of small, boxy, run down. Whereas either housing associations are thinking, actually, let's think bigger. And maybe the Tories could, you know, take a leaf out of that, but, you know, think of something different
1: right okay that's your challenge to listen so if you want to hashtag with like I don't know what could be a good hashtag for this Ned I don't
2: don't know budget ideas or
1: (laughs) blue sky hashtag blue sky no (laughs) hashtag blue sky you nearly said that word I know blue sky and then we'll read out the best of them next week we're going to start doing that I'm going to start reading stuff out from the listeners all three of you Tom if you're listening (laughs) sorry about that send us your ideas Tom I've been exclusive anyway I'm rambling now thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next week cheers